Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. I don't know if you noticed, but Mike only took 20 minutes in worship of singing. I get the rest. If I go long-winded, what are you going to do to me? (laughs) I loved it when Dale said, yes, if you could just stay near your seat. Again, it was, what are you going to do to me? I'm going to walk where I want to. Family, again, thank you for joining Kathy and I on this day. Um, And again, you need to understand, you who are my 27-year family, uh, we have scattered through all of the church this morning my historic family. I don't have time to tell you stories. Maybe you'll get some tonight, but please do me a favor. Historic or present, meet one another. If you look over and say, I don't know that guy, there's a good chance they know us. All right? So fake your love. (laughs) All right? By the way, that's the sermon this morning, and you're in real trouble if you fake it. Uh, What a privilege it is to be here on this day. Um, (sighs) There are some of you here today... You're not here because of me. Um, But you've had a deep impact that Kathy has had on your life. I'll be fair with you. That's why I'm here. (laughs) So if if any of the rest of you are here because of that reason, I more than understand. But I want you to understand another thing. Ultimately, I'm here because of the gospel. The gospel's incredible. Do you understand on one level how costly it is? God the Father designed this in eternity past. The Son played it out in complete and utter humiliation. How he would ever humble himself to be born in a barn, to have lived a holy life, to have taken the abuse that governments from Rome and Israel would put upon him, to be nailed to a cross so you and I could rejoice this morning is incredible. We don't deserve that privilege. What a cost. He calls it in the Bible a pearl of great price. And I have to confess to you today, there are too many times I've treated it more like a marble than a pearl. Do you understand what an incredible privilege the gospel is? Not only is it costly, but it comes to us with such a privilege of transition. You were dead 
now alive. All right? You were unholy. And he who knew no sin became sin so that you become the righteousness of God. We're transitioned from finite till eternal. And we're given a body that equips us for that day to live that way. We have no idea what an incredible privilege it is to proclaim today that we have been transitioned to something far greater. But family, I also want you to understand that transition also changed my and your position. See, I, I love my DNA. I have family here today, and I have them scattered all across the country. But I want you to understand, the moment I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I pick up the gospel, and I'm warned that DNA might sell me out. Do you understand? But the family stands united. There's a positional change that's pretty incredible. And I told you three weeks ago that when we close today, I'm going to close and I'm going to speak to the idea of the family. We have no appreciation to the incredible cost of what it means to be part of the family. And I want you to know today that uh, many of you are new to me. You know, the, the church has been going through a post-COVID growth. And you've heard this family. Some of you have been around for a long time. You've heard family. But I want to put clear definition on it today. What does it mean? You see, the, the apostles grasped family when Jesus told them, a greater love you'll not have than to love one another. All the world will know that you love me because you love one another. And the Gospels were grabbed by the apostles and they went out. I want you to hear me. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John got it. Listen to Peter. Peter says this in, in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter got it. But I want you to understand, maybe nobody got it quite like Paul. And I'm going to tell you that as you put a mental asterisk on what Peter has just said in his, his incredible inspiration a moment ago. Nobody got unity quite like Paul. 
And the reason I'm, I'm convinced of this is this. Is if I took you to, to Galatians this morning, in Galatians, Paul calls out Peter, and then he calls out Barnabas. Because having been told what the gospel is, that it is this incredible unifying privilege that Jews have, that Gentiles have, that you can share it. And that grace and grace alone is our sole sufficiency. Peter looks at a gathering of Jews and becomes intimidated, and he pulls back from the Gentiles. Barnabas pulls back the very man who led many of those people in Antioch to Christ in the first place. He pulls back, and he doesn't eat with them. And Paul condemns them, not only to their faces, but to the embarrassment that they have over the entire crowd. A few months later, when Barnabas and Paul are supposed to go out on a second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take Mark. Mark had already deserted them for one time. So Mark was an established guy in the city of Antioch. Mark was a, an established guy as an early proponent of the gospel. Paul said, wait a second, you're not coming out with me. Those Gentiles I led to the Lord, you deserted me once. Barnabas, you led many of those people to the Lord. You're not going out again. Now, please understand, in this moment, I'm interjecting, and I get, I get that, those of you who know. And yet, at the same time, I believe that Paul so cared about those Gentile believers, he didn't want a second incident from Barnabas. And he didn't want any incident from John Mark. Why? Because that's his family. And you will not mess with their understanding and their growth in the gospel. The gospel is everything. And I believe that that moved him. And, I, and we all have feet of clay. Understand that. And I believe Peter, who could write about the unity, we know Peter. He's a blessed knucklehead, like every one of us. And even though he could write the purity of inspiration, he had to live it out, but he's a human. And he screwed up. Conversely, Paul, who wrote about the unity, could look at Peter and could look at Barnabas and say, hey, dudes, and could call him to the carpet righteously. But then now it talked about restoration. And you know something? We hear that he says, John Mark, you're profitable. But you know what he never says again? He never utters Barnabas' name, not one more time. Almost as if, now again, I'm reading between the texts. You can take it or leave it. It's my last one, so who cares? <laughs> Almost as if, he says, wait a second, Peter, you're old in the faith. You should know better. Barnabas, you're old in the faith. You should know better. John Mark, you're a newbie. I'll let you off the hook. And though they all go out and minister the intimacy is not quite the same because Paul looked down and said, my family, understanding of the gospel will not be jeopardized. 
I'm protecting them. I don't care what. And so when we see that in the beginning, we see a man committed to the gospel. And he now writes a message to the people of Philippi. These are, if you will, his kids. There are some of you today, you know that. You're 50-some years old heading into retirement. I get it. But you know something? When I remember my 10 years with you, you're my kids. These are Paul's kids. They're now broken by persecution. They're now broken in disunity. We will see in chapter 4, two of the women who used to be side by side for the gospel can't get along, Yodi and Syndicate. And he looks to a third guy and he says, hey, can you go talk to them? Restore them. They're in the family. we got a job to do. And I can hear, I can see passionate Paul, who only in this area I'm a lot like. Mess with the gospel. Mess with the people who are young in their faith. All my claws are out. I'll kill you even if you know Jesus yourself. And so Paul now writes, and dead center to the book, he writes the only thing that's going to help the family, the only thing that's going to put the family all together thinking the same thoughts as they should. We're all different. We like different cars. We like, there's differences. But he wants us to know there's an identity that's the same. And we're always going to pursue that same identity, no matter what. And so he leaves us this in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And I want you to see it today. It is the, it is the crux of what it means to be the family. Join me. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So family, I want you to notice, right off the bat, he's going to tell us the benefits of family. So he, he wants us to see that, that there's, there's really some benefits. When a person finds Christ, Paul continues to teach about the transformation that we just touched upon. And he tells us that it changes our mind, it changes our heart, it changes our passion. And I want you to notice, first off, it gives us a loving care. It gives us a, lo a loving care. Now, first off, since this is the benefits, it's not first among us. This is a loving care that God, through Christ Jesus, gives to us. He says, this same word 
that we see as encouragement, if you have the ESV, is used elsewhere for comfort. The idea is that Christ does amazing things to stop the hurts that we are experiencing. And how many of you have ever said, having lost a loved one, having gone through some painful experience, can look down and say, man, I don't know how other people can do it without Jesus. All right? Isn't that a common phrase for all of us? So we now have this moment. He says, if, it's almost as if this is a facetious statement. If you've gotten any encouragement in Christ, if you've gotten any comfort, he then says, of course that's true. The idea is he does amazing things. So Corinthians, 2 Corinthians can say it this way using the same Greek word, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So those times when you looked out and said, man, I don't know how I made it through it. Wow, God encouraged me. God comforted me. God, God made, made wholeness available to me, and I, I'm restored. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You have the chance. He then continues here in 2 Corinthians to be that comforter to somebody else. Forgive me, but that's why they invented coffee houses. <laughs> All right? It wasn't for the drive through It was so that you could go in and sit down and say, hey, sister, brother, hey, come here, sit with me. I've got something to share with you. You know, I had my heart ripped out years ago, and my Savior sat me down, and he gave me that cup of coffee, and I'm sharing this with you today. And if you've ever gotten that, you should just check it down and say, man, that's a benefit to the cross. What a privilege it is to know that we have this from Christ. Peace replaces fear. Joy overcomes grief. When believers experience the reality of the presence of Christ in their community, the reality of this comfort in Christ is a strong motivation to aim for unity in the community. I want you to notice, secondly, the benefits it gives true community. The second if points to a comfort that we've gotten by love. Now, the literal idea is, again, someone almost whispering comfort into your ear, giving you comfort and help specifically identified to what you need at this moment in time. And, and, and again, church family, let me speak. There were 30 of you a year ago. You all remember, don't you? You came in the last week of January, and you were all in tears corporately. And you forgive me, but let me talk about you. Because you walked in in tears. And, and we joined each other in a circle, didn't we? And simply gave that whole privilege of your brokenness and your hurt from somebody else who messed with the gospel. And you began recovery here. And you want to hear me out? Your 
changing the entire complexion of CBC because of your involvement as God heals and restores your hearts. What a privilege it is to sit back and watch you from every angle that I have. What a joy. Thank you so much. And I am so thankful to God that we had our little circle in, in my back left corner. Family, it's, it's, it's a love that says, I, I need to share something. I need to express something to you. The love is provided when, when the Lord gives to worthless people the graces of salvation. And then he continually bestows, he gives that love to believers. Romans 5, 5 says it this way. God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So that when we love fellow believers, biblical love, Paul says, makes you and I look crazy. And I love that idea. You see, you can do nice things to people who are nice. That kind of makes sense. All right? But for you to do a loving thing to me makes you look crazy. For you to go out of your way to somebody that you don't know but who knows Christ makes you look crazy. Listen to what, listen to what the Bible has to say here. He looks down and says this in, in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. In other words, it makes sense to love you if you do something loving. But we look really stupid if we do it with a motive that God wants us to do it. So he then turns. For the love of Christ controls us. Why? Because of the gospel. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Doesn't that sound crazy? Therefore, all have died, and we, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, family, if we are believers then we're dead to our desires. We're dead to our priorities. But we are alive for what Christ wants from us. When we live like that, we look insane. Forgive me, Mike, but you could have had a great retirement, Mike Broyles, if you'd have just kept your head down and quit praying instead of getting involved in a jail ministry and go into prisons. Because you look crazy. But ain't it cool? Huh? <laughs> so family, if, there's a one and there's a two if, the third if, the benefit of being in the family is a partnering with the Holy Spirit. 
Koinonia has the thought of mutual sharing. And isn't this an incredible thing? Jesus said, come, be yoked together with me. My yoke is light. All right? Partnering with the Holy Spirit. What a deal. You and I are partnered with God on high. No matter how we do it, it's an easy task in comparison. But he invites us into the privilege of participation with the Spirit, of partnering. We share life with God, who 1 Corinthians says comes into our lives so that we are the very temple of his presence. Wherever we walk, the Holy Spirit's there with us. The very Spirit of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, is with us. Not only is He with us, His spiritual power is with us. So, 1 Timothy 1.7 says, I didn't give you a spirit of timidity. I gave you a spirit of dunamis, of power, where we get our dynamite word from. He said, that's what I gave you. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're partnered. What a privilege that is. We are gifted in such a way that we do supernatural things, not based on our equipment by DNA. And then we're given fruits that describe our characteristics in an entirely new dynamic. And all of this because we are partnered with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we have Him individually, that means we share the gift of partnership corporately. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says this, For in one Spirit... We are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all are made to drink of one spirit. So family, understand, step back for a moment and think. Can you imagine now this entire group that knows Jesus Christ as Savior? All right? This, this family of people who know and love the Lord. We now have the, the ability to share in the unity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who've been living together in eternity past in this wonderful nature of communicating with one another in complete agreement and honesty and wholeness and holiness and righteousness, and we have the chance to join that. Can you imagine what an incredible privilege that is? We've talked about from time in the past of, of, of recognizing the, the Trinity and what that must have been like with absolutely no created anything but just them. How the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit almost as if they were, He was the, the words that was going between them. 
Oh, Father, how great your intelligence is. Your, your plans are incredible. I cannot wait to see them unfilled in, in, in creation in the, into the future. And Oh, Son, thank you so much. And the day will come that you will die for people who are sinners and unworthy of, of all that you're doing. And aren't you wonderful? And the Spirit communicates through and with the Father and the Son. And now you and I are joined with Him. And the one, the Spirit, who says, I can take all of your hurts and your desires and turn them into communicated truth to the mediator who turns that into an expression to the Father. And he does that. All with us together, simultaneously, seeking about a privilege so that you and I, in talking to the Spirit, mediated by the Son, answered by the Father, all going together at one big time, we have an incredible privilege of unity that we'll never even comprehend until we get to heaven. We have partnership. And guys, that expresses itself practically so many times, doesn't it? You go out and you do something. You share Jesus Christ. And you come back, and what do, you, what do you say to yourself? Things like, I didn't know I had it in me. You didn't. You had partnership. You had participation. You may have learned a few verses, but how it ended up getting twisted and turned in the dynamic of that moment in time where you, being used by the Holy Spirit in a God-designed moment in time, how many times have you just simply done an act of service? I took a loaf of bread to somebody who didn't deserve it. And it created a conversation that you looked down and go, man, how did that happen? You were involved in a, in a thing of almost insignificance. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit used it by His participation in significance. Family, we have a, a koinonia, a fellowship with God on high that is not merely true with the individualness of each one of us. It is true in the unity of us all. And please understand, don't let anyone mess with that privilege. I want you to know there's a fourth. There's a bond from other believers. So he tells us that, that we have a great affection. Affection is the Greek word here, and, and I love it. It's simple. It's the Greek word for guts. Splaxna. All right? Chicken rocks across the road in front of your car. What do you hear? You hear splaxna. All right? Guts. They're all over the highway now. What happens when you're an athlete and you have to do something? You have to make the shot. You have to make the putt. You have to do what? All of the sudden, where's your tension? All on the insides. Man, you're boiling it over emotionally. And he now looks to us and he says, that's the bond we have. We're, we're together to this, to a, a very emotional level. Not merely the academic. Not merely the, the awareness that we have because we have God's word and so we read its truth and then promptly divorce the connection 
but we have it, if you will, on a gut level. The idea is an emphasis that's deeply loving. Paul could say earlier in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember, this is known as the prison epistle. All right? Paul's in jail. Paul's not only in jail, most likely house arrest, but then handcuffed to a Roman soldier. All right? Now, forgive me, if you're in some sort of house arrest, handcuffed to someone else, how, how deeply are you going to be concerned or thinking about someone a thousand miles away? Paul looks down and says, man, I'm, I'm so deeply concerned for you. You know, that, that wrist's a little tight. Could you, could you loosen that a little bit? I am so concerned for the people of Philippi. Oh, Lord, watch over them. Be with them. I care for them. Why? Because I led them to the Lord. Lord, I want them to grow in you. I want them to, I, I want them to see a greater purpose in you. I, wa I want them to have all of the joy that I have in following you. It's, it's the greatest privilege I have. I want them to know it. And so he comes and, and he says, you have a bond. See, we reflect God's heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because of the benefits, family, we need to be very, very thoughtful about the impact and the connections that family is making in the lives and the decisions which maximize the impact of the gospel. And our decision-making as we treat one another, as we are bonded to one another, as the impact of the gospel goes out because we represent him, be now becomes significant. So he looks down and he says, I've given you these benefits. I want you to understand there's, ex there, there's expectations. Don't ever forget, if you're part of a family, you have expectations. And if, if you don't understand that, then I need to take you back to the slusher world. I'm in summer camp. I can't be more than 10 years old. And I'm being a typical 10-year-old kid. And that meant I'm acting bad. <laughs> a man I never knew is a counselor at another church. His boys are all around him, and I can only believe they must have been obedient because I wasn't. And out of the, the darkness of my misbehavior, I hear, Mr. Slusher, you wouldn't want your father to know how you're behaving right now. How do you know my dad? All right? I melted right there, right into the woodwork. Please don't tell Dad. All right? Why? Because he knew not only my dad, he knew slusher. There's expectations. You're in the slusher household. There's, you, you, uh-oh. And so the same is true with the family of God, isn't it? You're a believer. You're the heavenly father's kid. 
And so our decision-making should never be taken lightly, no matter what we do, because we always represent the family. Not only do we represent the Father, but we represent the family of God. You know, again, I came here 27 years ago. That's what we're here to, to remember. The pastor of the Assembly of God Church, first Sunday, first Friday I was here, we met together for prayer. He prayed, Lord, may CBC see greater success for the gospel of Jesus Christ than we experience. Man, I will always be grateful to the, to the submission of that prayer. Hope Christian Church, ultimately the, the Table Rock Christian Fellowship, Tom began to pray, and we prayed together that we would see God work. And, and, and what an incredible privilege it was. There are times when we disagreed, understand that very clearly. But just because I like Fords and he likes Chevys, that did not take us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we both like Fords. And sometimes in theology, we saw things differently. But we saw the same Lord and we saw the same gospel. And I'm, I'm thoroughly grateful because I am part of a family. But understand, when you misplace the gospel, even when you're part of the family in one local assembly, you got to be careful in your decision-making if it hurts the walk with Christ of another family member. All right? And if they go to the church down the road and you and the pastor get along great, but they took that misunderstanding, that, that misstep, and they walk down there, they've now blackened the eye of the gospel. So it becomes a very difficult thing. And there's benefits, there's responsibilities. And I want you to see the expectations. He says, complete my joy. So Paul throws all his allegiance to the Philippians when he says in verse 24 of chapter 1, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, man, I wanted to die and go to heaven. But you know something? I need to stay here because you still need me. I don't even understand that prayer. Do you? Paul could want to die, but he says, you know, I got some jobs that, uh, that aren't here yet. And he didn't say, I don't want to die because I have a vacation, I got a retirement, you know, I, I need a little rest, a few weeks off, um, I need a sabbatical. He looked down and he says, it's to continue to pour myself into the people of Philippi and to the responsibilities of the gospel. He could say later in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So in other words, I believe God wants me to stay and help you. But you know something? If I take on martyrdom, I'll know that I saw you find Christ. And in, in, in taking me to heaven, I know that God looks down and says, you're doing just fine. 
And I can be proud to know that God's going to finish the work through His plans that are different than my plans. So I'm excited to see what's going to go on. Make my joy complete. So now he asks for their unity to be planned in this way. He says, first, have a unified effort. He will want unity with his family. So in Philippians 4.2, he looks over to two women who are sideways with one another, Iodia and Syndiki. And he says, I entreat Iodia, and I entreat Syndiki. I plead with you to agree in the Lord. You don't have to agree to each other. Agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. In other words, go to Starbucks. That's why it was created. <laughs> help these women who have labored side by side with me for the, in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the family of his fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So, family, understand, as I mentioned earlier, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, they're human. He didn't say you're out of the kingdom. He didn't say you're not part of an, an, an active fellowship. What he did say is you're not unified. Your, your, your thought process isn't where it should be because you're not thinking as the team that is dependent on the partnership of the Spirit. He looks down and he says, one of the expectations of family is a selfless focus with a desire to serve the same love. Family, it can only be accomplished with one thought and one selfless focus. And I want you to understand, the reason that that is true is that he says it's the same love. And the word he uses here is agapao. All right? Now, you know this probably very, very well. But had he said, okay, I want you to, I want you to phileo one another. I want you to get along like brothers and sisters. All right? He doesn't. He says, I want you to get along in such a way that the way in which you get along looks like the Heavenly Father's involved with you. Because only, only agapao love brings the Father and the Son and the work of the Spirit into the process of love. So again, going back to 1 Timothy 1.7, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but of power of agapao. And I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves, is the decision that I'm making personally beneficial or is it agapao beneficial? Does it, does it help all of us or does it help me? And I think that the people that you often rely on time in and time out, are men and women who have determined we're helping the team. We're going to set aside what I want. 
We're going to set aside my focus because I'm needed in a different realm. I, I need to be involved in a different way. And so he looks down and he says, I, I, I want you to be involved in a selfless kind of way. One that puts the family first. It's a selfless focus. See, you can't love with a divine, holy love without unity of mind. And so he uses the illustration of Christ in the following verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, forgive me, but had, had, had God, we can't even use the word selfish in, in light of God, can we? We can't talk about the selfish God the Father or the selfish God the Son. But play along, because that's Paul's intent. Was there anything that Jesus did that was selfish or self-centered? Who being in the very nature God didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on man, mankind, being born of a virgin, and then letting mankind abuse him, and then kill him, not only kill him, but make him look like the most horrific individual on the planet, a criminal who's worthy of government punishment. He says, that's, that's the mind I want you to have. He says, that's how I want you to think all the time. Forgive me, but you're nuts if you act that way. But you're holy. But you're right. But it's what God expects. So, how do I finish this? You ready? Go all in. Go all in. Now, I love this. You know that nearly two-thirds of the men and women who have gym memberships pay for it, but don't use it. Isn't that incredible? Forgive me, but Kathy would kill me. If I spent money on something every month and never bothered to use it, all right? She even checks my TV viewing because we pay for some of that. And if I don't watch it, honey, do you really need that? No, you're right. I'm only teasing. It's an illustration. <laughs> okay? I am going to retirement. I need some extra time here. Gym membership, pull it, no problem. Okay? But forgive me, but if you look at a church like a gym membership, you're always going to be looking for a better, a cheaper deal. All right? You're always going to be looking for nicer people. All right? Hey, I'm going to this gym membership. Why? Because they're all fit. All right? The mere fact that I say I go to this membership, please understand, I'm still a fatty. <laughs> but if I hang with them, somehow I feel more fit. All right? 
because I'm in this membership, and they're all fit people. All right? There's always going to be a cheaper one. There's always going to be a more fit one. There's always going to be a cooler one. All right? There's always a gym du jour, the gym of the day. All right? There's always going to be. But what's the point of a gym? To be fit. To be fit. So family, let's be fair. It doesn't come down to a building. It doesn't come down to a building. In the same way that the issue of membership in a gym is about being fit. It's not about a building. It's about being fit spiritually. So you must be involved in what God delights in, the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. So there might be reasons why one has to leave from one ministry to another. There's some legitimate reasons. But seen in the partnership of the whole, is it the right thing to move? Is it the right thing to do? Why? The transforming gospel becomes the key issue. When that occurs, unity from a local church becomes a bond that allows other families to fulfill our purpose in the unity that God designed us. So understand, family, do me a favor. When you use the word family, don't ever be superficial. You use the family because you have one intent. The gospel that's in your heart and the gospel that's in that family's heart, what you're doing is proclaiming and encouraging the gospel to be played out in a better way, in a more functional way, in a more sufficient way, in a more loving way to that person. And understand, there should be no reason to ever come to a building and ignore the family because you're here to get something and once you got it, you go. You ain't here for that. You ain't here for that. So let's do me a favor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull something from Mike. I'm sure that they've practiced better than that, but I want you to all stand up right now. All right? I changed scripts. He, know I'm, he knew I'd do that. All right, so what I want you to do is this. Every once in a while, we, talked about, we talk about an amoeba prayer. All right? I want you to all to come together. I want you to grab somebody who's grabbing somebody else. All right? And what we're going to do is we're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I knew he would, but we'll just do it a cappella. It'll be a lot easier. And I'm late anyway, so who cares? All right? Now, we're going to close in prayer, but first, loudly, boldly, clearly, and distinctly, we're going to join in with turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father in heaven, we're not here to do our stuff. We're here to do yours. So dear God in heaven, I'd ask that you'd be with us. As we prayed this morning as an elder team, you know, there's some really cool things happening. Dear God, I preached my last sermon. Eddie had his first wedding. Father, I studied my last day in the office on Friday. Peter Holtz joins us in his first year as an elder. Father, again, as we prayed, I have t-shirts older than Peter. <laughs> and now you've called him as an elder to take on the next, next stage. Father in heaven, there are lions in this room that haven't fully developed into their spiritual maturity, and they need to, and I'd ask that you be with them. And allow them to recognize, dear God, they're in a moment of time to no longer be mentored by someone else, but that, dear God, they are now the, the pride, and, and the pride's responsibility needs to be on them. And I would pray that you'd help those men to grow up. Father, I'd ask that you'd watch over and be with the variety of people that we have here. We have we have people that need to, to open themselves up to be used in such a way that the church family benefits from their gifts, from, their, from the use that they have of you, from, Father, the, the, the power that you have to give them through the Holy Spirit. You didn't give them a timidity, and we seem to live in timidity in this century. So, dear God in heaven, I pray that you'd watch over us we who are older, dear God, may we be encouraging the young to go get it. May those who are young, dear God, may find in us the examples of faithfulness and perseverance and partnership and encouragement so that, dear God, the day comes and we remind ourselves of CBC that we look and we act like the brother who redeemed us, our Savior Jesus Christ. And may we be faithful till the trumpet blows. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Family, we're dismissed. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.